All right, if you open your Bibles up to Luke, we're going to go through the book of Luke. I think whoever put this together, the staff guy, doesn't like me. So he gave me the longest gospel to go through and told me to do it in about 30 minutes. So we will see what we can do. But we're looking at the book of Luke, written by, guess who? John. I know you thought Luke wrote it, but you're going to learn something new tonight. No, Luke did write it. And so we're going to be looking a little bit at the author of Luke before we get started. We know from Colossians 4 that Luke was a doctor. In Philippians 24, Luke was Paul's fellow laborer. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Luke was with Paul at Rome during his last imprisonment. And these are the only times Luke is mentioned by name in the New Testament. Luke also authored not only Luke, but also the book of Acts, and they go simultaneously. One stops and the other starts, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But one of the things about Luke, he was born a Greek or a Gentile. He was the only author used by the Holy Spirit to, who was a Gentile. The only author in the New Testament who was a Gentile. He followed Paul, as we have seen in the book of Acts. And so he followed Paul and he wrote the books of Acts, which is the church history. But also with that, one of the things I think that God used him for as a doctor was to minister to Paul with all the beatings Paul went through all of the heartaches Paul went through and all the physical disabilities that he had that Luke was there to help him. Luke was also an historian. He recorded, like we said, the books of Luke and Acts over six and a half decades. That's a long time. And he was giving all this information in writing. It starts from the birth of John the Baptist to Paul's first Roman imprisonment. Luke is the longest book in the New Testament, along with Acts, Luke is the author of more than one-fourth of the New Testament. Many times when we look at the New Testament, we think Paul wrote most of it. Luke's writing on verse-wise is more than Paul's. So he wrote a lot of the New Testament. Um, In Luke, we get the most comprehensive New Testament account of the history of redemption. He recorded the history of Christ. We're going to look at that in Luke, and that's what it is. Many believe he wrote Luke from Rome when he was with Paul. During Paul's third missionary journey, he returned to Jerusalem and was placed in prison for two years. During this time, Luke went around because he was attending Paul, but he went around and he took the opportunity to talk to and interview all of these people because he was not around to see and witness Christ. And being he was not an apostle, he was not not really around during those times. So when you look at the book of Luke, sometimes we read it and we think, okay, he was right there with Matthew. He was right there with John. He was there through all of it. It's not true. But one of the cool things about it is he went around and did all of this research, all of this interviewing over this whole span. He he traveled with Paul, so a lot of acts he got with there. But with Luke, Paul wasn't there either during the life of Christ. So during this time, he went back and he interviewed all of these people he had heard about. Many of them were probably in the church of Jerusalem when he was back with Paul, when Paul was in prison with Rome. It's probably when he interviewed all of them. And he spent all of this time interviewing and talking to all of these people, as you can only imagine. He also maybe has spent some time with Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Luke had a rich vocabulary, and there is no less than 312 words that are found in this Gospel that are not found in any other passage of the New Testament. He speaks of six miracles of Jesus that no one else mentions. He records 19 parables that are recorded by him alone. And some of, the, some of these are the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the rich man, and Lazarus. 
And Paul influenced a lot of Luke's writings. Paul had, Luke had Paul's view of the cross. He would emphasize faith, repentance, mercy, and forgiveness. His writings would illustrate justification by faith. And when he would quote from the Old Testament, he used the Greek Septuagint version of the Bible. That would be what you would expect from a Greek writing to the Greeks. So let's look at verse 1 as we get started, verses 1 through 4. As Luke begins his writing, he says, Inasmuch as many have taken in the hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who have from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So here we have Luke and his beginnings of his writings here. It's interesting that he goes, we have many who have believed, many who have written, many have talked about and been eyewitnesses of the life of Christ. But he goes, and I'm going to give you a certainty or an account or a truth because I've taken all of this into account. I've done all this research. I've done, and I believe I can write this. And he's writing this letter to an individual. Many of the letters written sometimes in the scripture of Paul, where he would write to churches and things like that. Luke is writing to one man. And this man, Theophilus, he says, oh, excellent Theophilus was a man who was probably of high upper class. He had a high standing. He was probably kind of well-educated. He was up there. And he had had some kind of training, as we see in verse 4, which you were instructed, as the way he says, of those things. He had some kind of knowledge of Jesus. But whether he was a Christian or not, no one knows. Either He was either searching and starting to ask questions, or he was just a young believer. They're not real sure. But either way, he had gotten some kind of information. He had some kind of knowledge about Jesus. And probably many believe that it wasn't all factual, possibly. Or he didn't know everything. There wasn't a connecting of all the dots. And so Luke is writing to him to instruct him more about Jesus. Look over in Acts chapter 1 real quick. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, the former account, Luke, I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days in speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we recognize here that in Luke's writings to Theophilus that he was telling about, number one, the beginning in the life of Christ. And not only that, then he goes on and to claim with certainty that Jesus died, rose again, and now he starts to tell him, write this letter to him, the book of Acts, about how the church got started. And many times when I, I'm probably like you, when I study these books, I never really stop and think about this was written to one individual. And I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about this later in just a moment. But in writing to one individual, think about all the work that went into this one letter. 
And I stop and think about all the people who were interviewed, all the people that were... Now, whether he was doing that for the letter or he was doing that to gain knowledge, we know he was a doctor, he was into details. You can tell by his writings that he was gaining all this for himself. I don't know or if he was gaining all this to help talk to Theophilus. But either way, he gave all of this and all this writing of what happened in the church with the Paul and Peter and the beginning of the gospel spreading throughout the whole world. And he did all of that for one person. And I stop and think about that. And again, I'm going to challenge you at the end with this again. That many times we don't give hardly an ounce of this kind of effort to the ones even we love, maybe in our own family. But yet he wanted this man to know the certainty that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. That he would know for certain, not only that he was the Son of God, that he came and he loved sinners. Not only that, but he loved not only Jews, but the Gentiles, the world. And not only that, that he loved Theophilus. And he did all this stuff and presented these truths to him so that he would believe and know with the certainty all of these truths. And so as we look at the purpose of Luke, it was to know the certainty of these truths, as I just said. In Luke 19.10, which is probably it's at the end of the talking about Zacchaeus, the, the story of Zacchaeus or the truth. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And pretty much that's what the book of Luke is about. It's about that Christ came to seek and save the lost, or the Son of Man as he calls him so many times. Luke builds this book on hysteric, hysterical, historical, <laughs> that be what I would do it on, historical reliability. He emphasizes on chronological and historical accuracy and makes this the most comprehensive of the four Gospels. Luke's can be, Luke can be divided into four sections, and we're going to kind of look at these this evening. First would be the introduction of the Son of Man, and that begins in verse 1 and goes through chapter 4, verse 13. We're not going to look at these passages, very many, but I just want to share some of them with you. Luke places a strong emphasis on the ancestry, birth, and early years of Jesus and his forerunner, John the Baptist. Luke is the only gospel to speak of John the Baptist's conception and birth. The other gospels talk about John the Baptist, whether it be that he was the forerunner for Christ, that he prepared the way, or that even they talk about him baptizing Jesus. But Luke is the only one who talks about his conception with his, his mom and dad and Elizabeth. And one of the things about that is that how would he have known all of that? He spent the time to sit down and hear and learn all that they had to say. Luke is the only gospel that speaks pretty much about Mary, Gabriel, the, the angel Gabriel coming to visit Mary. And then we have Mary visiting Elizabeth when they're talking and John the Baptist inside of her leaps with joy when Mary speaks about what's going on. We did get a detailed account of the birth of Jesus. And as I was studying this and I was thinking about this detailed account about the birth of Christ, Matthew speaks probably more about it than the next, but it's not detailed. But as Luke, who was not there again, gets this detailed account, it's from Mary. So that's like with, some of y'all know my kids, 
and you can know, okay, I can kind of vaguely remember when they were born. And you could talk to me, and I could give you a kind of an account, a little bit here or there. But if you sit down with Lisa, she could give you a detailed account, probably a lot more information than you'd ever want to know, okay? But then again, she was on some drugs, so some of it could have been hit or miss a little bit. But, but, but in that, she could give you a true account of what happened. And as Luke sat down with Mary, can you imagine? I mean, I just, I can't get my head around that. Sitting down with Mary and going, Mary, tell me about when Jesus was born. How much time do you have, Luke? Well, I got like 20 minutes. Well, I got about four days worth of talking. And she begins to tell about this. And then he possibly sit down with Elizabeth and said, tell me about when John was born. How did all that happen? Well, you know, his dad went, he couldn't talk. He had to write and begin to tell all of this stuff of going on. And I mean, I, I remember when I was working with our youth in Oklahoma, and my wife and I, we were just lay people working with our youth. And one of the ladies in our church, the piano player, in fact, her father was a circuit preacher back in the 1800s. And so he was still alive. He was like 90-something years old. And so I decided I had this great idea that I was going to have this activity out at their place. And so I went out there early, and he was there because he lived with them. And I just said, I said, tell me about what it was like being a circuit preacher. And I'm here to tell you, there was some pretty exciting things. And you're talking about packing. Those preachers back then, they packed. They might have shot somebody, asked for forgiveness later. You know, and I'm not sure, you know, at that age how true some of those stories were. But they were pretty interesting stories. As I would hear about what he did in Colorado and Kansas and as he traveled all through there and preached at churches and stuff like that. As I, was, as I listened to those, I was intrigued by the message of God and how that God used him. And that is nothing compared to what Luke's, who Luke sat down with and talked about all these things. <clears throat> we also had the greatest tributes of praise connected with the birth of Christ. How did he get this? Again, by talking to them. We have the, the truth, the great tribute from Elizabeth we have in chapter 1. We have the song of Mary in chapter 1. We have Zacharias, John the Baptist's father in ch- chapter 1. We have the angels who announced Jesus' birth. I wonder if he talked to one of the shepherds. I don't know. He had a pretty accurate account. Then we have Simeon in the temple. And Luke tells a little about the childhood of Jesus. He's the only one. How would he have known about the temple when Jesus was 12 years old in the temple? Probably mom. And how I lost him. How dad wouldn't turn around or however that would go. And then we had to go back and all of that. Then we had the genealogy of Christ. In, and it goes in chapter 3. And here's the thing. Matthew starts at Abraham. Luke goes all the way back. Look over in chapter 3 real quick. Chapter 3, verse 28. Chapter 3. I think it's chapter 3. It's somewhere in there. Yeah. Chapter 3. Let me find it in here. I'm looking. I'm looking. Chapter 3, verse 28. And then it goes on. It says... Uh, here it is. I can't find it. Hang on a second. It's not 28. What, where is it in there? 23. Ah, 23, 28. It's all the same. Uh, just Genesis, Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Let me find it here. Oh, there it is. The genealogy of Jesus. But go to verse 28. 
the son of, down, let me take that back. Go all the way down to verse 38. I'm sorry, I knew it was an eight. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And here as he goes through the genealogy, he goes through and he begins to tell, not just starting at Abraham, he goes backwards all the way to this is the son of God. And he's doing this again to this man, Theophilus, that he would understand, okay, we can track Christ all the way back to Adam, whose father was God. And so he does the whole genealogy a little differently. Then we go in chapter 4, it goes with the temptation of Jesus. And all of these records are to introduce Jesus as the son of God. So all of these first three chapters are introducing Jesus as the Son of God, even four with the temptation. Um, and all this information he obtained by talking to people. So that first one was the introduction of the Son of Man, or the Son of God. The next section would be the ministry of Jesus, and it begins in chapter 4, verse 14, and goes through chapter 9, verse 50. And here Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. Then he is rejected in Nazareth. And he went to Capernaum and did miracles and cast out demons. And then he goes to the Sea of Galilee. And flip over to chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to see where Peter call, where he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John. It says in verse 1, And so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw the boat standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got in one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out, a, put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they, had, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he, had all, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all, forsook all and followed him. And as Luke writes this account about Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and how this is when they were called to follow the Lord, how would have Luke known that? Peter probably told him his exact story. And he sat down and he goes, Luke, let me tell you about how I became a follower of Christ. Boom. We were fishing, couldn't catch anything, cleaning our nets, pretty discouraged. And then he, the rabbi at that time comes and gets on the boat, tells us to do that, and I recognized he was the Son of God. This was the Messiah. And then we look on at um, chapter 6, verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 12. Jesus calls his disciples. It says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain 
to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. From from there, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter. Andrew, his brother, James and John, who we just read about. Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. So here we go with Luke telling about, okay, here's how it all came about. Here's how the twelve were called. Here's where it all begins to spread out. So Jesus begins to preach, and then he preaches the Beatitudes, the message of the Beatitudes in chapter 6. He goes on ministering in different cities, and he travels to Galilee. And then in chapter 9, flip over there, we know he's called his disciples out, his apostles. And look over in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, Then he calls his twelve disciples together, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staff nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet, as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So we know that he began to send them out and to preach and to do miracles, proclaiming that he was the Son of God. And then he has his disciples, and in verse 18 of chapter 9, he begins to tell them and predict his crucifixion. And it says in verse 18, And it happened as he was alone, praying that his disciples join him. And he asked them, saying, What do the crowds say that I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? And so they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it of a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destined, destroyed, or lost. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes to his own glory, and in his fathers and of the holy angels. So we know that he was predicting his crucifixion. He was telling the disciples what was getting ready to happen. And we know through Scripture they had no idea what he was even talking about. And then he goes on and he takes, go to verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease 
which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting with him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And I love how he put an exclamation with it. You can only imagine what that sounded like. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, and they kept quiet and told no one those days any of the things that they had seen. How did Luke know that? Talking with Peter, possibly James, John. And sitting there listening to all this, and, these, and you think about these men telling what had happened. You know, they could have written a lot of these. But God had chosen Luke, who was a master architect of words, as we know. He was also very much a smart intellectual man. He was a Gentile, writing to the Gentiles, telling them, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is the perfect man. You serve all these gods. You serve all these Greek gods, all those. They are not. This is the true God right here. And so it would probably have been interesting to know as he spoke to these about all these truths. The next section would be the section <clears throat> would be the rejection of the Son of Man. In chapter 9, verse 51 through 1927, we're just going to look at a few here in just a moment. That Jesus goes to Samaria and they turn him away. And all this was happening preparing for the cross. As the opposition was getting stronger and stronger and stronger against him. That they were more and more beginning to reject him and be offended by him and hate him. Because he claimed to be the son of God and all they were seeing him do. And during this time we know that many people are starting to believe and that's making them even more angry. And during this time, we also know that Luke recorded the Lord's heart. Because during this section of the rejection is where Luke talks so much about that he came to seek and save the lost. And in chapter 17 and 18, Luke describes and talks about the time that Jesus took, taught his disciples lessons. So we're going to look at a couple of those real quick. Turn over to chapter 17. We'll begin in verse 1. Chapter 17, verse 1. As Jesus is teaching his disciples, the first one he wants to teach them about is forgiveness. And as he's speaking here and again, where is he getting this from? Luke has evidently sat down and talked with the disciples and heard them explain what Jesus was teaching them. Which when Luke, kind of time Luke got to them, they understood it all. Verse 1, then he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through whom they do come it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and if he were thrown into the sea then he should offend one of these little ones take heed to yourself if your brother sins against you rebuke him and if he repents forgive him and if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying I repent you shall forgive him and here's the Lord teaching these disciples about when they go to God and they go to their heavenly father and repent, he will forgive them. It doesn't matter how many times. 
and we should do the same. So he was teaching them, his disciples, about forgiveness. Because you have to understand, these disciples, when Jesus was teaching them this, that they were hard. If you sinned against them, you were to be punished. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They were not to be forgiving like that. And then the next lesson he teaches them is about faithfulness. Verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mount, this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he think, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants, we have done what was out, was our duty to do. And he's teaching them here not to do it as duty, but to do it as a faithfulness because you love, because you care. And so he was teaching them about faithfulness. Verse 11, he goes in to teach them about thankfulness. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there he met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. And so he is teaching them about being thankful, being thankful that the Lord forgives them, that the Lord saves them, and he was preparing them. And then in verse verse 20, he talks about being ready at all times, and I think this applies to us definitely today. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come, with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days. Let me say it again. The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes, out as part under heaven, shines in the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by, the gen- by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it is also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they brought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. 
In that day, he who is in the house, who is on the housetop, and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is on the field in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in the field. In the in one, I tell you that in that night there will be two men in one bed, and one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together, and one will be taken, and the other left. Two men will be in the field, and the one will be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And here he is talking to them about being ready. And we never know when the Lord's going to come back. You know, we, we, we start looking about prophecy and things today, and we start thinking about all that, and we, we, we know it's getting closer every day. You, just, you know that just for a fact. But as we look at all the things that are starting to happen around our world, but the truth is, even so, I hear so many people talking maybe about prophecy, and I hear people interested in that. But yet, it still doesn't change us that we're ready if he was to come back today. It's interesting to me. The people want to know a lot about it, and that's fine, and I get that, and I'm, I'm one of those also. But does it truly change us that we're ready? That it truly changes that I'm ready. If he comes back today, I'm ready. And we know that that's the message the Lord was trying to get across to his disciples. And then in chapter 18, verse 18, the Lord talks about commitment. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, See how we see we have left all and followed you. And so he said to them, Assuredly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. He was talking here about being ready, to be ready and have this commitment that I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to forsake all whether it be riches, whatever it may be, I'm going to forsake everything to follow him. Look over in chapter 19, chapter 19, in verse 1, and we see that the last thing he was teaching his disciples was about seeking the lost. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. 
And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 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 I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I was curious as studying this and looking at this, where this truth in Scripture came from. It makes me wonder if Luke, to get this information, didn't sit down with Zacchaeus. And you think about Zacchaeus telling the story about his conversion and about how that, because you think, and the only reason I say that is because we would all probably say if we left everything, we would say in our account, and Zacchaeus, and I was rich, by the way, let's just get that straight. And then I gave half to the poor, I gave fourfold. And so as he began to, to listen to this and, and his disciples, he trained them, he taught them. And as Luke sat down with each one of them and heard these teachings of Christ. I was talking to Brother Johnson one time, and, and uh, it was not too long ago, and he was being honored <clears throat> for a Lifetime Achievement Award. And I first told him I didn't know if I was going to be able to go because, you know, I was picking up my daughter from college the same day. And I told him, he goes, so you're going to choose your daughter over me? And I went, well, yeah, I think I am. And I said, because not only am I choosing my daughter over you, I'd have to choose my wife over you because she'll probably leave me if I go to your thing and not move my daughter home. And I said, so then if I'm divorced, I don't know that the church would keep me as the pastor, so I'd probably lose my job, my wife, and my child to be at your little thing they're having for you, whatever that is. I can't remember now. And he laughed. He goes, Jeff, the church isn't going to care. He goes, they never listen to anything I said except the stories. He goes, they know all the stories, but they don't remember anything I preached. And I was laughing, and I started thinking about Luke here. And as he's listening to these stories and just sitting around taking notes and writing and listening to these guys tell. But here's the thing. You know, when you, when you talk to someone, you can tell if it's really genuine or not. And I can only imagine if he's sitting here talking to Zacchaeus about Zacchaeus coming, the Lord coming to Zacchaeus' house, and you can just see it in him. You can hear it in him as he's telling this. And all these things made even more and more angry the leaders. And then we have the last section. It's the crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of Man. Luke describes what we would call the Passion Week. And he goes through and he talks about all the details leading up to the crucifixion. That Jesus is... Was that me talking on her phone? It was what? <laughs> yeah, she wanted to hear somebody else that knew something. I think that means it's we're dismissed. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll be done. I think that was my cue. But uh, it's talking about all the, the week leading up to the, res- the crucifixion and then also the resurrection. 
And Jesus put a lot of instruction into his disciples, as we've just seen. And he's trying to prepare him for what was going to happen next. In these last chapters, from chapter 19 on to the end, he's telling his disciples, here's what's getting ready to happen. And then they get to witness it, and all things become. And he goes through not only the last week, he goes into the day in detail. Again, not there. Hearing it through people who were there, those eyewitnesses, as it said at the very first of Luke. And so as he's listening and all that, and as we go through and find out all of the death, burial, and resurrection, then he goes into Acts and says, Theophilus, I'm going to continue now. You know all of that. That's all happened. That's all true. Now I'm writing the rest. And we know this book was written in about A.D. 60 to 61, somewhere in there. Quite a way, 30 years after Christ had been had died and all of that and resurrected. And so as he's writing these things and as he's listening to these things, it changed Luke. And God used this Gentile to write a quarter of the New Testament. The Gentile that they said the Jews should not be saved. He was used. And then I think about that, and I think about all the time it took to write down, to listen, to write down for one person. But God had a greater plan. When Luke wrote this, he did not know that all of this would be used in the canon of Scripture and be used in all of the churches, and not only through all the churches throughout history, but even today, that we would look to this gospel to know more about Jesus Christ, to know more about truth, to read some of the things in Scripture that were not disclosed in the other Gospels. We, he didn't know when he wrote the book of Acts that that is going to be what we would use to know church history, to know how the Gospel was spread throughout the world. He was just writing to one guy and telling him all he knew about Jesus Christ. You know, when I think about in our lives, so many times we do not know the impact that the Lord can have if we're just sharing with one person. If we're sharing and training one person what God can do through the rest. But we as Luke can be that one person to share what we know, the good news of Jesus Christ, the truth we know. And that life can be changed. And many lives can be changed. But also, the other thing I want to challenge you with is not only to have an impact on a life, but think about how much Luke wanted to know about Jesus Christ. For him to interview all of these people, write all of this down, he wanted to know who Jesus was. And to me, when I think about this, and it being the longest gospel, it sounds like he couldn't get enough. He just wanted more. And more and more and more. And I think that's like with me. I love hearing people's stories, if you want to say, about how they came to know Christ, how they were saved, how they've grown, the obstacles they've been through, how the Lord has used them, the things they've learned. I love to hear people tell those kind of stories. And it helps encourage me and in my faith. And as Luke went through this and wrote all these things down, you know he had to be encouraged and then I think, as I spoke earlier, that he was there ministering to Paul physically because he was a doctor. But I think also as he was interviewing these people. And think about this. When 
He's in prison. Paul's in prison. Luke comes in to minister to him physically. And Paul goes, Luke, where'd you go today? Oh, oh Paul, sit down. I met this guy. I talked to Zacchaeus. Who's Zacchaeus? Well, let me tell you what happened with Zacchaeus. Unbelievable. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I talked with Elizabeth. Learned all about the birth of John the Baptist. Really? Share it with me, Luke. You think about someone who's in prison for his faith, who's struggling, and to hear all of this about God working his plan brought encouragement, I believe, to Paul that he could just keep on going. And Luke was the instrument of that, I believe, and there to really encourage him with what he knew. And I challenge you as family members, that you have family members, you have friends, never stop sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and what God has done in your life. And share it that your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, nephews, all of them, they know God and what he's done in your life. And that can encourage them and grow them. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that we can learn and we can grow through it. And Lord, I pray that you will be this as we go out tonight. Lord, help us to recognize that as Luke was investing in one person, but all of the millions and millions of people and the eternal good that is happening through those letters he wrote to Theophilus. And then, Lord, I pray that we would do the same, but God, I pray also that we would desire to know you as Luke did. And we want to know all about you, all about that what went on. And we have your word to do that. And, Lord, I pray that we would do that. We would search your word to study, to show ourselves approved. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.